You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back, everybody, to Across the Romaverse. It's Sean and Steve here with you today to uh, discuss Saturday's match against Juve. A disappointing result, as many of you are well aware of by now, here for episode 29 of Across the Romaverse. Sean, how are you doing on this Monday? I'm good, actually. I'm surprisingly good after a loss against Juventus. But uh, yeah, really, I'm not too down about it. Yeah, I guess a couple days to uh, absorb it. It was... I guess compared to a couple of our other losses this year, a little more encouraging than uh, what we've seen against some other sides. So I guess it's better than a four four nil in uh, in Bergamo or you know losing to Lazio in the Derby. So yeah, I guess so. Uh, I, I suppose that my expectations for this match weren't, weren't like those ones like Atalanta, Lazio, Napoli. You know, we discussed it before. Those those are the real crunch matches. But mm-hmm. um, this is one where I just I've seen this kind of you've lost to Juventus before you know I've seen this 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 movie play out before and I was, I was just used to it by now I, I don't know if that's depressing to say but I'm I'm not I'm not down about it yeah unfortunately I think that's the point it's gotten to especially playing at the Allianz outside of the end of last season when it was kind of a throwaway match for Juve that's kind of what it's become unfortunately so you know just to get into a Roma entered this match coming off an impressive 3-1 victory against Hellas we were singing their high praises last week um, it was probably their most impressive league win of the season, con- considering that Roma hasn't beat anybody inside the top seven. Uh, Hellas is probably the, the best win, considering the, the quality of competition in that match. Um, but like I said, they entered not having beaten a top seven side, uh, those teams that they're competing with for a place in the Champions League. So, uh, you know, Roma entered with that same monkey on their back. Uh, you know, Juve was only trailing Roma by one point heading into the match with uh, 40 points for Roma, 39 for Juve. Of course, uh, Juve did have a match in hand as well, so this was even more important for Roma to try to find a result. Um, but like Sean and I just mentioned, Roma entered the, that same poor record in the Allianz Stadium uh, and against Juve in general over the past decade or so since Juve's been dominant. Um, and, you know, Roma had some encouraging signs in the first match, a 2-2 draw at the Olympico, um, but Roma did not build on any of that encouragement from the first meeting as, you know, they were very poor um in their offensive attack and we'll get into the overall you know match in just a minute but Roma entered this one without Chris Smalling in defense without Pedro in attack and without Pellegrini who was suspended and to throw that on top of that was you know new signing returning signing uh Stefan Elshari not match fit yet so he didn't even get to dress for this one he was in the stands watching but uh was of no use on the pitch for this one 
which uh, really threw uh, a little bit of a curveball at Fonseca because without Pellegrini, Pedro, and El Shirari, he had a, a bit of a lack of options in the attacking midfield. Edin Dzeko was back, which was noteworthy, but started on the bench after his spat with Fonseca recently when it looked like he might be out the door. So uh, Roma entered with a 3-5-2 where Brian Cristante, wearing the captain's arm man, slot in as a third central midfielder with the usual pairing of VR and Vertu. Uh, was that about what you expected heading into this one, Sean, in terms of lineup, considering the absences? I I can't say it was. I, I understand why he went with it. I didn't I didn't have any, any objection to it, but I was really more expecting him to push VR for, for that front. So uh, what he ended up coming up with is more like a 3-5-2 yeah, or 3-5-1-1, or as I saw in the day, where it was his, his main concern was packing the midfield at all. At all points and uh, making Cristante, Mkhitaryan and Villar very fluid in terms of like their roles. They, they kind of swap roles throughout the whole match. And uh, yeah, just something he was thinking on their feet there. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't surprised with the personnel he went with. But what I was surprised, uh, like you mentioned, was that Cristante was the one pushing up a bit more. Uh, you know, we had talked about that a little bit last match, how, you know, maybe play Cristante in his old Atalanta role. Um, but he hasn't yeah. done that really in Roma. And I thought he'd be the guy sitting back where Vertu and Villar would be making the more forward runs in it. Turned out that, you know, Vertu did more of the sitting uh, back in a lot of the, the points, you know, and there yeah. was a lot of interchange. So I was a little surprised by that. Not not so much in the personnel considering the absences. Uh, you know, the young center back trio was expected. Um, and Paul Lopez, again, was in, in net. And we'll talk about him in a bit too. So unfortunately, Roma fell to Juve 2 nothing. You know, Roma came out the aggressors. Looks pretty good those first 12 minutes. It looked like they had some some early signs of life. And then a Ronaldo goal sort of against the run of play, a short run of play, but a you know, positive run of play for Roma nonetheless. Uh, you know, kind of just kind of set the match up for the rest of what it would turn into. Uh, because after that, Juve played a fairly defensive game and looked to hit Roma when the opportunity presented itself. Uh, Ronaldo hit another post a little bit later on. But other than that, you know, Juve didn't attack much either. Both teams only had two shots on target each, and finally Juve got a second in the 69th minute when Ibanez put um, a low cross into the back of his own net with Ronaldo shadowing behind him. Um, and from there, Juve was up 2 nothing, and Roma just couldn't find a way to get on the scoreboard. It was a rather lackluster match without many great opportunities for either team. So Sean and I will jump right into it. Uh, Sean, let's start off with the Ronaldo going the 12th minute. Um you know, it was a great shot on Ronaldo's part, and it really stopped Roma's encouraging start in his tracks, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like Juventus were defending from from the get go, really, and uh, Pirlo and Bonucci actually came out and said that was the game plan uh, from from minute one. So um, I didn't necessarily see two different phases of the game uh, in that in that sense, but it definitely did. It, it had that sort of like authority stamp of, of it on it when when the UVA you know just took that goal it's like yeah you can attack us all you want but look we're gonna go ahead on the scoreline and it was a really good shot I I, mm-hmm. I remember at the time I wasn't necessarily I wasn't down about it and I, I I'm really not making it up when, when I saw the goal I just my first reaction was that's a really good goal um it's like right low into the corner net for as a shot from outside the box and and he just like he'd rolled it off the side of his foot like made it so made it look too easy really but it was a really hard goal and uh i just thought well i wish we had someone on our team who could score so as confidently <laughs> as that one <laughs> yeah it was kind of one of those reactions like sob because you know here he is again you know ronaldo of all people on un- pretty much unmarked when he let the shot go and it was a perfectly placed shot 
Um, you know, so let's talk about the, the the whole, you know, play and the way it played out. And, and it started with Spinazzola giving away a crossfield pass, which I kind of lost in the moment because it happened a little bit before the goal. And, you know, there was a little bit of buildup mm-hmm. after that. And I kind of forgot about it until I saw uh, a tweet from David Amayal who said, you know, Spinazzola adding to his Juve assist tally because, you know, his spell <laughs> wasn't the best. Um, and then when I saw the replay, I said, oh, there, there, now I see what he's talking about. It was a poor giveaway on Spinazzola's part, who's someone who's been pretty good for Roma this year. So a little, a little surprising to see him give away a crossfield ball like that. It's not a play he usually makes playing those crossfield balls. It's usually more him pushing down the wing. So that's where it started. And then, you know, Alexandro really made the goal when he beat Brian Cristante. Uh, you know, to me, that he was the biggest culprit on that goal because he got beaten so easily by, by Sandro in the box. What do, you, what do you think make make of that part of the play? Yeah, I agree. I agree. If, if Cristante is stronger there, then uh, Juve don't get the the you know, the, the extra man advantage uh, on that left side, and and probably the goal doesn't really get a chance to happen. So yeah, I, I got to put the, most of the responsibility on Cristante, even though it's credit to him that he got back to cover for Rick Karstorp because that's mm. yeah, he was playing basically auxiliary fullback in defense because Karstorp was uh, caught up front after yeah. Spinazzola gave the ball away, but. Uh, I mean, it's one thing getting back. The next thing is that you've actually got to not get twisted so easily by your man. And Sandro just really gave him a slip very easily there. Yeah, very, very easily, surprisingly, uh, especially considering Cristante is a guy who's played center back for us this year. You you would think he would defend yeah. a little bit better. Um, and then, you know, the ball found its way to Murata, who got closed down by three Roma players. Uh, and then that left Ronaldo wide open. So once the ball fell to Ronaldo, you know, when he's got an open look at the goal, uh, he usually doesn't miss. Uh, whether it's mm-hmm. just outside the box or not, he placed it perfectly. To me, the as bad as it was on Crisante's part, the thing that drove me the most crazy was how do three guys go to Morata and leave Ronaldo wide open? Um, and I think it was Kambula who eventually tried to get there to close him down and just couldn't get there yeah. quick enough. That that to me was the most frustrating part because yeah, Morata's good, but he doesn't need three guys defending him. He's not going to beat you on the dribble or anything. Uh, well, that 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 that's the way we defend, and I yeah. goes back to what we were talking about last week is that we we don't mark men, we mark mm-hmm. out the ball, um, and uh, we're not the only team that does that in Europe. I mean, Liverpool do that, uh, Dortmund used to do it under Klopp, but they might still do it now. You know, when when you play hyper aggressive attacking football, um, you can't afford to worry about mm-hmm. your opponent. You 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 worry about the opponent on the ball, try and cut off his options. Uh, we still haven't we still haven't nailed that down yet. It's a, it's a problem with the team that uh, we we aren't able to execute defense the way that Fonseca wants us to. Um, so when, when you see three Roma players moving towards Murata, it's they are actually doing their job. They're not panicking. They're just trying to cut off all the passing lanes to him. And uh, it was it's frustrating to see it when when players are too late to do that because it just looks it looks really bad. Yeah. But um, it was also a quick thinking for Murata because he 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 could have easily been tempted to try and um, play the, the square pass across the box, but he actually stopped himself and just right at the last second, part just dinked it back to, to Ronaldo on the, on the on the edge of the box, saw the open space and did that. So yeah, I, I give some credit to Murata there. Yeah. Do you think um, the fact that we had the three young center backs plays into that breakdown a little bit, or do you think the same thing possibly happens with Smalling back there, considering our zonal yeah. marking that we play? Um, I I don't think it was lack of experience because uh, it's been happening all season, and mm-hmm. also Vertu was one of the guys that 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 yeah. you know rushed in to to uh, close down the ball. So uh, I I can't blame the kids there. I think the the the, the shame of it was that it contributed to uh, Paolo Lopez getting some heat afterwards mm. because um, 
people talked about his positioning on the goal and how he left uh, his far side to wide open for Ronaldo. But I, I don't think that his positioning uh, really changed the fact that Ronaldo put it right, right in the corner. Um, you know, even if it had been in the middle of the goal, it was a hard go shot straight in the corner, like a snooker shot, really, straight in the pocket. Yeah. And uh, there was also um, some defence for Paulo Lopez today, which seems to often happen inside room after a game that <laughs> goes bad, uh, where our former keeper, well, not our former keeper, actually, well, he was our former keeper, but he didn't really play for us, Marcos Romelia, um, said today that uh, he explained that Lopez is actually taking, he took a further step to his near post to actually be able to see the shot mm. past those three, three Roma players that closed down the ball. Uh, so once Morata like, stepped, it, stepped it back towards Ronaldo, there's a, like, a body of Roma players in, uh, in Palopez's field of view, and he decided to actually take a step right instead of left to be able to see the shot. Um, and it, it made it look like he'd left the gold wide open. But uh, yeah, that, that's really what that cluster of Roma bodies contributed to is this Lopez uh, struggling to see anything coming at a time. Yeah, you know, Lopez takes a lot of heat for things, and I think he's an easy, easy target. I don't think that's a goal you can really peg on him like some people did. I mean, it, I think it would have taken a world-class keeper to, to even make a play on that ball because, like you mentioned, Ronaldo yeah. placed it perfectly. And, you know, like you had mentioned about him having to take that step to his right, to be able to see the shot where the shot went to the left. It, it I, I like to make, you know, comparisons to other sports. It reminds me of ice hockey where you, the attacking team will always park a big body in front of the, the goalie just to take away his yeah. vision. And that's basically what happened. If you can't see the ball, you can't save it. So Lopez had to take that step to the right and that opened up the left even more. And, you know, Ronaldo is Ronaldo. So uh, yeah. a lot of players maybe either hit that wide or hit it to a spot where Lopez can still make the save as they try to roll it in. But Ronaldo doesn't do that. So, yeah. you know, I looked it up uh, quickly before we got on there. It was a uh, XG 0.06 chance. So really not, not a wide open chance and not a hard, uh, sorry, not an easy goal to score. Uh, yeah. Only for, the world's best, but that way. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And considering that Juve, and we'll probably mention this a little more earlier, finished with a 0.33 expected goal in the match shows just how little Roma conceded to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately for Roma, Juve found the back of the net a second time. Um, and it was the middle of the second half as Roma was, you know, still only down a goal. Ibanez put an own goal into the back of Roma's net. It was one of those plays where it turned out really bad, but it wasn't, you know, an awful play from Ibanez. It was just a bad bounce for him, really, because the intention was good. The result was poor is uh, kind of how Brent put it in his Sinners and Saints piece um, yeah. after the match, because Ibanez it's almost one of those things Mancini was behind Ibanez covering Ronaldo, but Ronaldo still had a half a step on uh, Mancini. So if Ibanez lets it go, it could be a Ronaldo second goal and he looks really bad for letting it go. If he doesn't let it go, this is what happens. It it ended up in the back of his own net. uh, And that was really the end for Roma. So what do you make of that own goal, Sean? You could take us through it. To me, me, the way I remember it, I haven't seen it recently, but, the way I remember it from yesterday was if Ibanez doesn't get a fill in it and Ronaldo's picking it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we're talking about, like, we, we just said Juve's total XG was 0.33, but um, if they actually, that wasn't counting the own goal. If they, if they scored that goal, it probably would have been like double the, double the XG because that was a wide open chance. Uh, we just got, we got torn open. Um, so no, no blame for me uh, on Ibanez there, but I, I have seen some people say that. Um, he was slightly tardy in terms of getting in position, and that's why he had to stretch. I, I don't know how true that is. I haven't haven't rewatched the, the highlights today to really judge that. Um, what I saw yesterday was uh, 
the 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 depressing thing about this goal was, and this was depressing, was that Juve executed it the way that Roma wished they had executed them. It was all match. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had uh, we saw Juve had they they weren't even outnumbering us. They 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 had Quadrado out wide, and he had a, like not really like too many options in the middle. But Juve had three players in between the lines. One one of them being Kulusevski. I forget who the other two are, uh, and then Ronaldo on the far side. And um, it's a really good movement from those from those re, uh, three Juventus players in between Roma's uh, lines in between the midfield and defense. Is that they they just sort of like they moved in a way where no one quite was sure how to pick them up. I know Kambula like rushed out wide to try and close them on down, and that left uh, that left a wide open space for Kulusevski to run in behind him, and and also behind uh, Amadou Diwara, who has to be said should should have. It was Kulusevski was really Diwara's man, so um, but the, the the timing of the run from Kulusevski was just perfect. It's like right in Diwara's blind spot. Um, Diwara sort of like intuited or felt something had happened behind him, but like a, a second too late, and moved too late, and it just left Kulusevski wide open. But it's you know just that that really sharp, quick play in the final third from Juve was what we'd be begging to see from the Giannarossi all all match long, and it never came for Roma. Yeah, the, the the quick thinking and just that quick movement was was really what Roma lacked in this one, considering, you know, how they had more of the possession, how Juve decided to play defensively. You know, if we had gone into this, you know, match and you tell me that we're only going to give up two shots on target to Juve, I think we'd have a pretty good chance of at least pulling a point out of the match. But, yeah, you know, two shots on target, one goes in and then. I, I guess the other one was probably the Ronaldo post counted as a shot on target. And then you have a cross that gets tapped in by a Roma defender. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to get into our key takeaways after our commercial break. We're going to take an earlier than usual commercial break because there weren't so many talking points in terms of uh, key moments or, you know, match recap here. So we'll take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back with our key takeaways. All right. Welcome back. So Sean and I are going to get into our key takeaways from, uh, you know, Roma's loss at the Allianz Stadium. You know, normally we get into a key players kind of discussion here, but, you know, we had mentioned Roma didn't really have too many key players. The only ones that maybe could take a little solace in their performance were probably Mkhitaryan and Mancini, I thought, had decent matches. But yeah. there was a lot of other things to talk about. Um, I thought Mancini was very good, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Just to mention it quick before we get into the takeaways, I thought he was very good. I thought uh, giving him the armband after Cristante is a good decision. I think he's really growing yeah. into that role as maybe the – the third option behind Pellegrini, maybe fourth when you consider Smalling, but he's he's really growing into this side, and he's a player I think who is making himself one of the pillars going forward. One hundred percent agreed. Uh, you know, we we got caught. I mean, we're, we're just this will be our next point. We we got stuck trying to attack the left wing the whole the whole game, and then finally uh, the guy who put them into that was Mancini stepping up on the ball and and trying to make those vertical early passes from the right straight to Meral on the front line and. Uh, uh, Mancini is one of the few people that can actually do that from from the back. So yeah, I really like the way he stepped up in this game. Yeah. So speaking of that over reliance on the left, uh, the first half especially, I I noticed it very clearly, and you you put it in our outline here. There was such an over reliance yeah. on Spinazzola that it almost I felt like when I was watching it, I felt like we were going back to those early days when Santon was playing on the right, and it was almost Santon would play almost as a fourth defender in some ways, and not even push up on the right and. Spinazzola yeah. expected to do all the work on the left because Karsdorp did not see much of the ball. Um, no. <laughs> no. And, yeah, he, he didn't see much of the ball at all. And, you know, we mentioned in the, the first goal that it was Spinazzola's giveaway that led to the goal. So what do you make of Spinazzola 
that that over reliance on him on the left side, Sean. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be nice, but <laughs> yesterday I, I was not feeling nice towards Pizzola whatsoever. Uh, is to me it was just everything I I don't want to see in his Pizzola performance. Um, the the one thing I can say in his defense is that he makes himself open for the ball. I'm not going to criticize the guy mm-hmm. for that. He take he takes on the responsibility for starting attacks, and he makes himself wide open. He gives uh, his players, his teammates, that option. So that's only ever going to be a credit to him. But what he does with the ball when he gets in this, uh, I don't know, this this this, this headspace that he was in yesterday, is uh, it's wasteful, it's slow, um, and it's just it's I just don't. It's frustrating. It's really frustrating. Uh, it was even more frustrating because it came off the back of a, a big interview that the club released with him where he he showed exactly like once again just he's a really intelligent guy he you know he when he breaks down matches and talks about why the team lost or why they didn't uh, why things didn't go to plan he never makes it about himself he talks about um things like uh uh while well, we we it didn't go to plan today because uh, their defensive midfielder started shutting down our striker the whole game you know, he he has a, an awareness of uh, the entire game plan. He's not just self-centered about um, you know his his game and how his ninety minutes and how that went, which is such a contradiction compared to um, how he how he plays when he gets into the mood he gets in yesterday, where it's it's all about him. You know, like we have, it's sometimes it's blatant that okay, Juve are the stronger team. Um, where we've got them on the back foot. So we've, we've literally got about three or four seconds really at most before they actually get you know, set up in place. And then by that time, it's just, uh, it's going to be a one-on-one duel by the time they release the ball. And we, they've got stronger, more confident players who are more relaxed. They're going to win those duels. So you better play it fast. We've got we've got three or four seconds at most, make a play. And Spinozolo the, the yesterday is the type of guy who says, okay, I'll take 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And that's useful. That, that, that's useless, sorry, useless to, to everyone on the team. Um, we just saw him like wide open, picking up the ball, dribbling into two or three men at a time, dribbling into a closed lane. And uh, we won a lot of corners off that, but uh, we, I think we got nine corners the whole match. But yeah, that was another area of frustration was we just did nothing with them. So I don't, what, what did you make of it? Try Try and balance out my my frustration with Spinazzola here. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Spinazzola. You know, I've made that clear many times in here. I think he's having a great yeah. season, but yesterday was not one of his better performances. Like you said, I thought he was a little slow. He would hold on to the ball a little too long and dribble himself into some corners. And yeah, it won a few corners um, after he dribbled into a corner because he would find a way to dick it off somebody and maybe get a get something out of it. But you know, Roman didn't do anything with those either. But I thought, you know, like you had mentioned, when he's at his best is when he's moving the ball quickly and he's moving quickly and he's making quick decisions. Um, you know, he kind of does this thing sometimes where he'll kind of just like get the ball quick up the left wing. He's kind of on the outside of the box and he's kind of just dragging the ball with his foot, looking to dribble somebody or make a move on somebody. But he sometimes when he waits so long, he gets double teams. And that was one of those matches. And Juve is confident enough where they can defend you in those places. Danilo and uh Chiesa were doubling down on him at times and um whoever else was helping out but you know you know Chiesa was quiet on the offensive end but he sure did his job tracking back as a midfielder in this match I thought Uh you know keeping Spinazzola quiet because uh one of my buddies texted me he's like wow you know is Chiesa even playing I said well I guess Spinazzola is keeping him busy but at the same time Spinazzola didn't do much with the ball either once he got down there so credit to Danilo and Chiesa for for closing him down for the most part and it wasn't his best yeah. performance that's for sure um well, what do you think is what do you think is behind Roma constantly passing the ball because it's not like Karlsdorp wasn't open so yeah why, why... 
I, I don't why do you, know. Why do you think they just keep playing it to the left? It, that drives me crazy sometimes because Karsdorp has been good this year. It's not like we're dealing with, like we had mentioned, Santone or, you know, some of these other, yeah. the Karsdorp of the past or some of these other right backs who we've seen and suffered through past seasons. Karsdorp, for the most part, especially after the first month or so, became an asset for Roma. And uh, it's a bit interesting to see them not try to go at Alexandra a little bit more with Karsdorp on, down the right side um, because... I, you know, Car- Sandro is a good player, but I think Danilo is more of a defensive player than Sandro, wouldn't you say, defending on his side? I suppose so. I, I, I only have bad memories of Danilo at uh, Real Madrid. Uh, yeah. So I, I haven't really gotten over that yet, even though he's, he's moved on to City and then now Juve. But um, I think I think Sandro is a very complete player, if I'm, if yeah. I'm being honest. I mean, he's kind of, he's the player that um, you'd, you'd ideally want to sign, uh, but you'd end up signing Spirazzola. And I say that with all, <laughs> all due respect to Spirazzola because... Spinozola is a very good player by Roma standards, like a very good player. So I'm not trying to put him down, but if you had, if money was no object, you'd go for Sandro because he, I think he's stronger on defense and attack, even more so than Spinozola is. Yeah. And Sandro had a strong game. Uh, he was one of the higher rated players on the pitch uh, by many of the player ratings. So, but it was frustrating because I looked at the numbers and uh, Spinozola had, I believe, 77 touches. It was somewhere in the mid 70s. And Karzorp in his 75 minutes had 43. So, um, yeah. You know, and I don't think Spinozola had that many in the last 15 minutes to make it that much of, a, you know, an un- unequal yeah. share. So a uh, bit disappointing not to see more of the ball on Karsdorp's feet, just to keep the defense honest at times, too, I think, especially when you're trying to break down a tough defense and, you know, you keep going to the same side. It, it makes them easy to key certain moves and things like that, I think. So yeah, um, you want you want to variate your attack. That's just yeah. one of the basics of football. Yeah. yeah. Um, one place where Roma didn't get overrun, where we've seen them get overrun this year, was in the midfield, in part because Fonseca went to that trio of Cristante, VR, Mkhitaryan, that fluid trio, um, along with Vertu in the midfield. It, it helped push Juve back by making sure Roma always had numbers. Um, but like you had mentioned earlier, Sean, Pirlo and Bonucci came out after the game and claimed that Juve predicted Roma would play so offensively. Um, so do you give credit to Fonseca's men for dominating possession? Or is it worrying that Juve felt they could use Roma's own game playing against them? Because I don't, I don't think it's often you see Juve just kind of sit back at home like that. Mm, I, I think I lean towards the latter. Um, I think it's more worrying for me than than I give credit. But I do give credit because um, going to somewhere like the Allianz Stadium and uh, actually, you know, getting teammates pushing up front and and providing the option in the in Juve's final third, that takes togetherness. You know, it's like you could easily just turn up and say, you know what, I don't fancy it today. Um, I don't know what I'm doing at this club, but the coach has started me anyway, so I'll just call it you know, 90 minutes and I'll just coast by. And uh, if we lose, well, everyone expected us to, so don't worry about it. But uh, we saw everyone turn up yesterday and believe in the game plan. So mm-hmm. I give credit in, in that much in that clearly um, the people are buying into what this club is trying to do. Um, there's unity there, but it is worrying that Roma you know came out saying okay we're strong on the ball um we're we're gonna peg you back and Juve said okay no matter how strong you are we're stronger than you so go ahead and do it and and we'll just win anyway uh you know that that is worrying because what you know what you really take out of a loss like that where where do you go from there I mean some players after the match said yeah you know what we played uh we went head-to-head with the champions and we were we were on the same level as them we just didn't score but isn't that the point? Is that you know mm-hmm. you, you 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 played your best game 
and you look you didn't you didn't look threatening the whole 90 minutes and that, that's for me that's that's difficult to get past I, I don't know where you connect the, the b from you know where you go from a to b in there and actually come out with a positive lesson um i mean you were just talking about how Chiesa did more defending uh than he did anything else last mm-hmm. match and i think that was uh uh i don't know if that was deliberate from uv or or a result of roma's tactics but it could both can be true you know like uh, that that was what the roma set out to do with that free free three five one one was that with megatarian playing out uh, between attack and midfield and cristante playing between defense and, and midfield you have um like a, a kind of very fluid midfield that ends up like packing in between the between the red lines and uh that's that's impressive to to make that happen uh, against a team that plays 4-4-2 because you don't typically associate 4-4-2 with dropping back. It's already a very defensively compact kind of formation. So you'd expect them to stay high up. But um, with so many Roma players getting in between those two UVA lines, what inevitably happens mentally to UVA players is they say, okay, look, there are so many men coming at us that they tell the young men, McKenny and, and Chiesa, look, you better get back and help us. And that's exactly what happened. But apparently that was all by Juventus design. So... I don't know what to say. <laughs> what about you? What do you make of it? Yeah, it's tough because like like we had said, like if you go into a match and you say, wow, we held Juve to two shots, that feels like we went toe-to-toe with the champions. Um, yeah. You know, and maybe if it ended 0-0, you can kind of take solace in that. Okay, we didn't score, but we also didn't give anything up. Um, hmm. But when you look at the stat line, and yes, Roma had, I think it was like 51 and change percent possession to 48 change yeah. for Juve. Okay, we won the possession battle definitely a positive in the alliance for the most part you don't expect to do that very often but when juve says they did that intentionally then it starts to play that mind game where you know maybe we didn't do things so right because juve wanted us to do that because maybe juve saw how dangerous we were on the counterattack the first time we played because i'm thinking back to that first match mikatarian i think in jekko missed a couple chances in that match where roma could have gone up i think uh, a couple goals where the, the counterattack mm-hmm. looked very dangerous so Maybe Pirlo said, you know what? The only way this team really wins matches is on the counter deck. Because I'm even thinking of next week's opponent, Udinese, and they played that low block, and we struggled against Udinese's low block. So, of course, we're going to struggle against breaking down Juve, who have superior players. Um, So it's almost like it's hard to, to figure out as a Roma fan because it's like, you like the aggression. You like them having that mentality that they did go toe-to-toe with the champions. You want to build that mentality because you want to be confident heading into uh, Milan in a couple weeks and Inter and Lazio and all these other big matches they'll have coming up. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, if teams can game plan for us that easily and we can't break them down when they do sit back, that's a bit worrying too, because, you know, if you can make a team pay for sitting back, then, you know, you become the more dangerous team. You become a scary team for other teams to game plan against. Cause then they can say, exactly. Oh, Roma's great on the counterattack. But if we sit back and take away their counterattack, they also can break us down um, you know, when they're holding possession and we have not seen Roma really do that this year. And that's, that, that worries me more than almost anything. Cause we've scored plenty of goals this year. Uh, I think we were yeah. third in the league in scoring. We had mentioned before this match. So the goals come, but it seems like the goals come more in, in open play where, you know, Roma can move quick and, and beats teams with their speed on the counter with Pellegrini's yeah. passing and Mkhitaryan's movement. And if we didn't have that this match. Yeah, when the game is stretched, we yeah. score. But when mm-hmm. it's when it's tight, it's yeah, we're not that good. And then that's 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 the, the defeating message that you could take out of this is that we, we actually did do everything right. Mm-hmm. But we're just not that good at doing it against the world's best. You know, I, I think 
if it's a if it's a team like Udinese and they're playing a low block, okay, we struggled in the first match, but I think us being up to speed now and having the chemistry we do right now, I think we would we would beat those small teams that played the low block. But yeah. when we when we come up against stronger players who are who are really strong, like physically strong, and they can defend and, and they're confident because they they have goals set for the season, they're competing for titles. We're just not that good. We've had 14 shots on on their goal yet from yesterday. Uh, we we outnumbered them in so many categories, but looking at on the pitch, it was meaningless because there was there was never that feeling that we're threatening them. It was yeah. just like a lot of huff and puff, but no house is coming down. You know? Yeah, and I think you made a good point. Like next week when we play Udinese again, I think we will have a better opportunity to break them down if they play low blocking because we've seen them. And I think we saw that with Hellas. Not that Hellas plays a, a completely low block, but we saw how we broke down a good defensive team the second time around where they frustrated us yeah. the first time around in the first match of the season. They couldn't do that yeah. against Juve. And another thing that was frustrating, you had mentioned the nine corners. Roma had set pieces. They had nine corners. They could not even threaten Chesney with a good header, really. Uh, I think yeah. it was maybe Jekyll might have put a header on a ball that went just over later in the match once he was in the match. But there was not much going forward. So, you know, thinking about the attacking midfield, we mentioned the absences. Uh, I was looking at the stats just now. Meyer all had 16 touches in his 62 minutes of play. He was pretty isolated up there um, mm-hmm. because Jekyll had 12 once he came in in the last 28 minutes. So he almost matched his total touches in, in a short time. And I'm not saying Jekyll yeah. was, was good. It was just, I think, Jekyll was more available to a long ball where Myral's not going to win those because Myral was starved for service. Um, so do you think Pellegrini's absence at uh, El Sharari possibly being a, a, a having a role off the bench could have made a difference in this match if those players were available? Uh, I'm going to be honest, you're not going to like what I say, but no, I don't. <laughs> I, I think this is a match where uh, Pellegrini struggles. It's not, mm. it's not a, a typical match where Pellegrini comes up and and it, and it favors Pellegrini for the player he is. It, it actually works against his his uh, his one of his flaws, which is that um, if if you got a congested like you got a lot of traffic in one side of the pitch, uh, Pellegrini struggles to find space and, and struggles to use that space and time. Uh, as El Shawari. He's capable of a, of a great through ball. We talked about it when we signed him uh, with our, our winter Mercato recap. But those through balls come like, you know, they don't, they come like every once so often. It's not like something you yeah. can set your clock on. So, um, no, I, I don't think so. Because it, if we're saying that, um, it's, it's, well, then why, why did we ever switch to three, five, with three at the back in the first place, really? We, we did it because we, we knew that. We have attacking players that, that thrive when the game is open and stretched. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we wanted that extra defender on, on the pitch, not because we want uh, more defense, but because we have better ball players at the back who can actually make those passes. Mm-hmm. If Ibanez, Kumbula, and Mantini can't do it, then who can? I mean, Mkhitaryan can, but if you're talking about Pellegrini and El Suari, no, not for me. But I, I, yeah. I gather you, you disagree. What do you think? Um, I, I, I don't wholly disagree because I, I think you're right. As much as I love Pellegrini and, and his development this year, I think that is the one place he does struggle a bit is in those tight spaces still, especially in a compact match. He's better in, in that open play. You know, right. El Sharari maybe could create a shot out of nothing here or there, maybe at least test Chesney. But if Juve is compact enough and they 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 put a, a body on him, it's going to be tough even for him to maybe find a, a wonder goal, which he's capable of. You know, you can't count on those mm-hmm. kind of things. Um, yeah. the, the only other name that comes to mind, and I didn't put this in the outline is could a player like Zaniola have made a difference in this match, you know, and that's, 
you know, really reaching because he's been out all season, but maybe he yeah. can dribble at somebody. Maybe that's what Roma was lacking because they didn't have an answer today. Yeah, it, it always helps when you have someone like Zaniolo who can just like barge through three players at a time mm-hmm. and you and you they're wondering yeah, then then they're worried about that right side. Mm-hmm. So then you get that variation in the type that we talk about. So uh he would have you know on on in an ideal day where he's match fit and perfectly, you know, hundred percent ready, yeah, he would have made a difference. But in I think in a different way, you know, not yep. not looking for creativity from him, we're just looking for him to be uh like the the sledgehammer down the right side. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I, I would have liked to see us with Pellegrini on the pitch, maybe just to give us that extra option, but I don't I don't know if it makes a difference. Like, like you said, um, yeah. you know, you had mentioned here the lack of determination to get that first ball inside Juve's box, especially from, yeah. from Vertu's corners. We had mentioned the corners. That was that was frustrating. So what do you make of that? Uh, you have a, a quote yeah. you want to go to here. Yeah, you just brought that up earlier. That, that was one of my, my top three frustrations yesterday. One was Spinazzola. Uh, second was the just the lack of like really good final third decisions from Roma, but the third was where the corners uh, we had nine of them o- overall. It felt like we had more. Uh, we had in the first half corner after corner after corner because uh, Spinazzola kept getting dispossessed on the right, but like luckily he or, or probably credit to him that those those balls were it went out for corners, uh, but there was just no. There was no determination to to be the first man to get to that ball once Vertu ripped whipped it in. And Vertu has a good delivery. You know, he, he made some good deliveries yesterday, put it in the six yard area, but it always, always ended up at the feet of a UV player to clear it, or it went straight into Chesney's hands. And uh yeah, it was Alessio Takinardi, um ex ex Juventus midfielder, was sort of like a club store at the club. I don't know if you ever caught Takinardi playing. It might have been before you were following Serie A. Did you get to see him play? No, I, I know the name. I, I know, you know, he was a good player, but I never got to really watch him yeah. play. Yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was kind of like the Marquisio of his day. And that, like, if he, if he'd left Juve, he would have probably made a much better career elsewhere, but he just was loyal to the club and, yeah, but was sort of like a, a rotation player, but very classy on the ball. Uh, but yeah, yesterday he said, no, sorry, today after the game, he said that Roma, um, you know, they don't win these direct encounters against rivals. Um, they, they play such a beautiful game. They look so beautiful to me. But when they encounter a tough team uh, that's uh, playing against them on the other side of the pitch, uh, they don't manage to leave any mark on the game. And they don't, they don't give that extra something in terms of, like, you know, strength and, and fighting for the ball. Um, they, he said they're doing a, a great, great league campaign but if you want to really stay at the top of the league uh, over a season then mentally you have to bring the extra something mm-hmm. and to me that that really summed up how I felt about those corners yesterday is that you want to see people put like putting their neck on the line literally like really fighting to be to, to win that ball to be first to that to that virtue delivery and we never saw that yesterday it's sort of like I we nearly saw it from Mancini but he ended up mm-hmm. fouling someone instead yep um but uh, other than him I just don't see that determination to to be to really like you know that aggression to be to be first to the to the to the ball, yeah. Yeah, and I I think you make a good point with Mancini. We had we had praised him earlier, and he was the only one I can recall getting close to making something in one of those corners like in an aggressive way. And you know sometimes his aggression can get the better of him because he does rack up some yellow cards sometimes. But you wish other players had that aggression. I think you know the only other guy we see that from sometimes is like a Zaniolo, who's an aggressive player too. A lot of these yeah. other guys. 
uh, are aggressive in certain instances, maybe against a weaker op- opponent, but they need to start doing that more against these bigger clubs, you know, and look who was against Inter who got his head on a ball late in the match to tie the match. It was Mancini, these players that, yeah. you know, he doesn't back down from the big boys, which is something I, I like about him. And Roma's going to have to find that mentally. I think Takin already made a great point there because, you know, you could play beautiful all the time, but if you're not going to be tough when it, when it matters, it's going to, you know, it's going to leave you with some losses that probably will cost you in the long run. Um, yeah, which, is, these, which is definitely our worry. These are the same accusations that were leveled at Arsene Wenger's Arsenal after mm. uh, 06 when, when they started dismantling the club and they said, okay, look, we're going we're gonna to be selling our best players every season to be able to pay off the stadium, but what we're going to keep is the beautiful football. We're going mm-hmm. to sign like, you know, young players who can pass it around, who can stroke the ball and make it look really pretty on the pitch. But all that, all that beautiful game really looks superficial if it's not underpinned by muscle and steel, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's what I really feel about. I felt that way about our team this season for a while now. Is that we we just look soft when it when when it when our underbelly is exposed like that. Yeah, and it, it makes you think of um, that team under Spalletti that was so good the second time around with De Rossi, Strutman, Nangalan. These guys all brought muscle in the midfield. They weren't always the prettiest, and certainly Roma lacked certain characteristics sometimes. But you were never going to get out muscled in the midfield for for lack of greens or things like that. Um, exactly. Yeah. Well, what what that trio didn't have was the, the creativity and yes. and the technique that that this team has. But mm-hmm. now we've gone too far in the other direction. Is yeah. that we've we've given up muscle for for too much. Well, there's no such thing as too much technique, but just not enough muscle. Really. Yeah. And I, and I know we weren't really that close to signing him. I know we were linked with him last summer, but that just, every time I see Nicolo Barella play, I'm just like, wow. I mean, if, <laughs> if those rumors yeah. were at all true that we were really in for him, my God, he is a player. Uh, yeah, probably a, the best Italian player. player right now. So that's the yeah, kind of player Roma lack, I think. Exactly. That's it. That's the exact mold we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Ver too tries to be the poor man's version, I guess, in, in a sense, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, He's good at on his day, but he's not he's not Badella like you had, you know, yeah. that that's the mold we're missing. Um Agreed. you know, so we mentioned Smalling's absence. We won't stay too much in that. We mentioned, you know, Juve 0.33 uh XG, but scored twice. You mentioned earlier you don't think he would have really made a difference on the goals, correct? Yeah, no. I I mean, I always I always put Smalling in my first eleven, but uh it wasn't really that kind of game where I, I feel like blaming the defenders for anything. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to talk about was Fonseca's comments after the match, because I know he took some flack on social media because uh, he he praised the side in many ways, I guess, after, you know, getting hammered by Napoli and Atalanta and Lazio, I guess this loss is a little bit easier to take away a few positives, but he said, we did well for the most part of the game. I must have forget we were up against Juve. They defended well. The numbers are numbers, but the team that scored the goals ended up winning. If you look at the statistics, we had more shots, more corners, more possession, more passing, but Juventus scored the goals. Um, and then he was asked about Ronaldo's goal, and he said, this is why Ronaldo is the best in the world, because he can score goals like that out of nowhere. We didn't make a mistake on that goal. It's just Ronaldo. I want to elevate, um, sorry, evaluate the team performance. We showed the courage to come here and play our football, forcing Juve to defend in numbers in front of their penalty area. The team did really well. We just made the wrong choices in the final third. I did not expect Juve to sit so deep, and I don't think they did either. I believe we forced them back. And this is what you talked about uh, earlier, Sean. You know, Fonseca Mm -hmm. praising his side for forcing Juve back. Juve comes out afterwards and says, you know, now we we planned for that. Um, Yeah. You know, and Fonseca gets a lot of was getting a lot of criticism because, you know, Roma didn't win. And it's kind of 
So do you think he's sugarcoating what was Roma's real issues here in praising them? Or do you think he makes a good point in, in kind of praising his side and just saying the better team, you know, the more talented team maybe found a way to win? Well, on, on the sugarcoating issue, I think uh, if, if people feel that way, it's, that's, that's one of those things where if you just don't, if you don't like the situation you're in or you don't like the people you're with, like you don't like the coach right now, you'll just use this as another thing to use against him mm-hmm. because otherwise, otherwise you just look at it. You step, you step back and look at Rashmi and you say, well, what is he meant to say? Is he going to yep. say, no, we, you know, we, we did terribly. And, uh, and is, is he going to blame the players? If he blames the players and he'd get, he'd get flack from the very same people criticizing today. Yep. He'd say, people would say, why is Pontella for sake of, you know, why is he throwing them under the bus? So he came out and said, really the, the, only, the only thing that he could do was just highlight the positives and mm-hmm. hopefully, uh, you know, hope that the players take that into the next match and, and believe in themselves still, despite this loss. Um, I don't blame him for that. But what I can say is that if you if you believe in what Pirlo and Bonucci said after the match about their game plan for kickoff, then Fonseca's wrong because Fonseca said uh, I didn't I didn't expect them to come out and play deep, and I don't think they did either. Well, apparently they did. Apparently that was their game plan. So it's not uh, how much can you you know you should be worried the fact that. Uh, someone, you know, me and you said uh, that the 2-2 from the first result was something that we could build on. But apparently Juventus looked at that and predicted exactly the way in which we would try and build on that, which is come out, play offensive, possessive, uh, possession football, and they used that against us. And that, that should be worrying that you can't see your own moves coming ahead of time, but your opponent can, your enemy mm-hmm. can before before kickoff. You know, if, if you're... If you're trying to be uh, unpredictable with your three-five-one-one, then you know, your your enemy still sees it coming. What, where, where do you go from there? You know, it's 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 hard. Yeah, and I mentioned it earlier too. I think that 12-minute goal really conditioned the rest of the match because it didn't allow Fonseca to uh, make any changes in Roma's approach. Because at that point, Juve was content just sitting back at one nothing, and if Roma wanted yeah. to counter, they didn't have the opportunity because Juve wasn't going to force the issue. So. I think, you know, if Ronaldo doesn't score so early, maybe it stays 0-0 long enough that, you know, Fonseca can say, you know what, maybe let's concede some possession to them around the 30th minute because now we're still deadlocked and we're not getting chances. Um, So I guess in some ways, you know, some people definitely have an agenda against Fonseca at this point. I think, you know, there's no reason, and you you and I have mentioned, he should not at least finish the season because by all accounts that you hear from, especially neutral type uh, people, they all say Fonseca is probably overachieving at this point with this roster, with what Roma's up against. Um, yeah. So it's hard to really criticize him outside of those lack of wins against the top seven, which happened again. Um, but, you know, he, you know, he, he was stuck to his guns too uh, in the post-match press conference. Um, he said, Jekko was ready to play, but he did not start because it was my choice. Uh, Borja yeah. Maizaral worked very well for the team today. That was my decision. I'd make it again. So, you know, Myral, we said didn't have the greatest game, but, uh, Fonseca, I, I like that he's sticking to his guns and not saying, you know, and I don't think he would ever publicly admit he made a mistake if he did feel that way, but you know, good, good on him for saying, you know, I chose to sit Jekko, you know, I thought Meyerall was the better choice yeah. and yeah, he lived yeah, he with it. He didn't hide. Yeah. He didn't hide by anyone with that. He, he yeah. took responsibility for his, for his own decisions. So yeah, I, yeah. I don't fault him for that at all. And I, and I don't think he had any choice, but to play Meyerall. I agree. Like we talked about it before, you know, with Meyerall on, on this form, what 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 does it say if you drop the player? You, yeah, it's just you're telling him you don't fancy him, like you just don't yeah. believe in him that much. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he had to play him, but mm-hmm. um, I I just 
uh, you know, the, the, the really the theme, the unsaid theme here is that, well, actually, we did say it earlier on, but I, what I take out of this is that these players just aren't that good. Um, and moving on from this game uh, against teams that are better than us, like let's say, for the argument's sake, Milan and Inter for the rest of the season, um, I would criticize Fonseca if he went into those games playing a sort of like uh, this this uh, this approach, which is looking arrogant after Juve figured him out ahead of time, and uh, is looking a little bit like he he's trying to push through the, the team in a way that Eusebio De Francesco did, which is like just stick to the stick to the, this plan and, and just learn, and uh, and you'll you'll learn by you'll you know you learn by throwing throwing you in at the deep end. Um, I don't think these these players are are good enough for what Fonseca is asking them right now. That's you know it's not a final judgment on them because a lot of those players are young, mm-hmm. so they'll get better. But uh, at this moment in time, the, the team is just not there to execute what Fonseca is asking for them. So what what I would expect from Fonseca uh, in these these remaining games against Milan and Inter is to play more conservative. You don't you don't have to play defensive like a Roma playing a you know Catenaccio, which they're just not good at. We don't have the players for that, but you know, make sure you stay back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, play for, don't play for the draw, but just don't leave yourself wide open exposed for those those kind of goals that we saw yesterday where you, you get hit on the counter. That's what I expect from him. If he, if he doesn't do that, then I would criticize him for that. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to be stubborn and, and, and stick with something that isn't working or doesn't fit the players yeah. properly. Um, especially because we've looked so good on the counterattack. I think that's our, our best chance to sometimes beat these teams is almost to play like a smaller club on the counter because it fits our personnel. Um, you know, if we can, you know, if we have Smolin playing in the middle of Ibanez and Mancini, we have Ibanez and Mancini can dink balls forward with the best of them at, from a center back perspective. So, you know, I definitely think there will have to be adjustments. And just to close on Fonseca, you know, he did say there are no moral victories in football, but I'm proud of the players. They show great courage and character here. And that gives me faith for the future. And I think, that that's a perfect way to, to to end it on his part because he admitted there are no moral victories that Roma had walked away with no points, but you do have mm-hmm. to be proud of Roma. I think in some ways, despite the two nothing loss for not really backing down after Juve got the set, the first goal, they didn't completely fold. They just didn't really execute. And I think that's important yeah. from a mental standpoint, uh, especially with yeah. a young team and a young player. So I, I think yeah, that's important. A, there is, there's unity there. These, these, these players are a team. You know, they're not mm-hmm. they're not showing up as individuals. They're buying into what the coach is asking for them. They just, they, like you said, there's there's not the execution there when 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 it comes to the moment yep. of truth. At least against, against the stronger teams, I think we'll be okay doing this against uh, teams that are maybe at a level like Napoli, Lazio, Atlanta. I don't know if you want to take that risk, but if we do. It's understandable to believe in yourself when you're going toe to toe with someone who's on your level. And certainly teams lower than us, you know, we've been dispatching them all season, no matter how, whether it's counter-attack or not. So, um, yeah, but just, uh, um, yeah, there, there was, it's a team that sticks together no matter what. Yeah. And uh, that's good to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and, and you make a point about teams on our level, Napoli, Atalanta, Lazio, uh, which leads us into our next point. Roma pretty much uh, looks like they're fighting for fourth at this point and no better. Would you agree with that after, after yesterday's result? Agreed. Yeah. There yeah. are three, three teams that are stronger than us. And yeah. 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 So the, the, the two Milanese clubs and, and Juve pretty much uh, I'd be very surprised and, and Sean just agreed that, you know, they would make a run at those clubs at this point. So now, you know, yesterday, Napoli, not yesterday, but over the weekend, Napoli and Atalanta both had results that were very helpful to Roma, despite Roma's loss. Uh, Atalanta blew a three, nothing lead to Torino. Couldn't say I saw that coming. I was watching that match. It got to three nil in the 20 something minute, I think. 
and I actually switched over to Sassuolo and then I checked back at halftime and it was three, two, uh, Atalanta. So I watched the second half, uh, and I had a bit of egg on my face for giving up on Torino so soon, but I don't know if anybody would blame me considering the way Torino's played this year. Um, uh, but I was ecstatic when Torino scored the tying goal through Bonazzoli, uh, late in that match in the league like, was the 82nd minute. And that was before Roma had played. So I said, okay, at least, you know, Atalanta won't be completely on top of us if we don't win because you know that's always a chance against Juve. Um it was so a, it was a, it was the 84th minute and the only 84th. reason I know that is because I the only reason I know it's because I read your articles. So, uh, like, so you remember so, yeah. Yeah. So yeah so that was you, it was a lovely header. Yeah. And then um uh, yeah go ahead. So I was gonna I was gonna say yeah if if uh if you guys ever want a steady hour recap of the weekend and all the match days you should uh be reading Steven Chavilo's uh Weekly weekly summary of uh, all the matches on the Chiesi Detalti. Now, now you don't have to leave the website at all if you want to get your yeah. entire study on news. And that's that's actually my favorite feature of this year, that new feature. Yeah, we're starting to do um, previews and recaps. I thought it was a you know a good time to start that up because you know the race is so tight and there's five six matches a week that directly affect the title race and Roma yeah. in the top four. Uh, Napoli, the other team. And in the previous, I'd pegged this as the potential upset that could help Roma. That because Genoa has been in great form under Ballardini. I don't know, you know, what he's put into the water there in, in uh, Liguria mm-hmm. since he took over, but they are in great form. And you know, I th- we thought maybe our old friend Mattia Destro could score a goal to help us out, but it actually happened to be an old enemy, Goran Pandev, who yeah. uh, had a brace against Napoli, and Napoli lost to drop points. So Napoli and Atalanta remain three points behind Roma. Napoli a match in hand. Lazio, though, unfortunately won yesterday, one nothing. A very lackluster match. I watched that match. It was not a great match. Uh, it was Ciro Immobile put in a rebound of his own shot as the only goal against Cagliari. Our old friends uh, Raja and EDF had had really nothing going forward. Uh, that club's in trouble. I don't know how EDF got a contract extension. That's a, a you know conversation for another day. But um, <laughs> you know Lazio has now pulled level. Technically, they have the tiebreaker because they beat us head to head three nothing. So. Um, do you consider Lazio the biggest threat at this point? Do you see Napoli or Atalanta as being better than them? Or do you think it's just going to be a whole mess of the, the four of us really fighting it out till the bitter end? I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to call it because it's a strange season where uh, you know, fixtures are being congested and people can drop points at any, any mm-hmm. season. Uh, sorry, any point in the season. Uh, we, we have, uh, we're going to get into it at the end of this uh, episode, but we, we have a very tough stretch for the rest of February. So we could be the ones dropping points. Um, yeah. I don't know who else is in, in the Europa League. I think Lazio crashed out. Or, no, they stayed in at the last minute. So yeah, still in and League. Milan's still in, but they're not really competing with us at this point. They're just competing yeah. ahead of us. But yeah, they're yeah. still in it too. Atalanta's still in the Champions League. Um, yeah. So yeah. I would say I'd say it favors Napoli and Atalanta because Napoli don't don't have European football, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, um, I think they dropped to the Europa League. I think they finished third in their Champions League, okay. right? Okay, so yeah. so Atlanta are sitting pretty because they get a day's rest as, as the Champions League team. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd make them the biggest threat, even even though they're actually the most behind on the table right now. Yeah, so, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard. There's 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 positives and negatives against each each side right now. Um, but uh, I think the Euro- Europa League teams will struggle. That's yeah, my, that's my opinion. What yeah, so um, yeah, Roma. Napoli and our, our Milan are in the Europa League, and then Lazio, yeah. Juve, Atalanta in the Champions League. So those teams will be busy. So it actually in the oh, title yeah, sorry, race yeah, favors like... Inter. Inter is the one that gets favored in the title race, I think, especially with that um, so, stretch. Yeah, I forgot Lazio in the Champions League. This yeah. Season. So so yeah, they yeah you're right. Then. 
they're the biggest threat. Yeah. Yeah. They're so the they, they seem like the biggest threat because they've won six in a row now. And, you know, this is looking way ahead, but that derby on match day 37 could be very decisive. Um, and Roma's appeal to that for that Hellas result is still lingering, I think, coming up this month. So that could also be interesting where Roma mm-hmm. could steal a point back. Um, yeah. So definitely things to look forward to. But in the more immediate future, Roma plays Udinese in match week 22 next Sunday early here on the East Coast, 6.30 a.m. Eastern start. Um, I'm sure my wife won't be too happy about my alarm going off at 6.30 to, <laughs> to scurry downstairs and get the match on. Uh, on Just on Valentine's Day. Lie <laughs> <laughs> Lions say it's, it's against a big club like Juventus. So, yeah. not <laughs> so we mentioned earlier that Roma had a little bit of trouble with Udinese. Uh, the first time they met, it was a one nothing victory uh, in that one. I think it was a Pedro goal, if I remember right. If I remember yeah, it's Pedro. Yeah. My head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Udinese's actually come come along pretty well. I, uh, they're uh, 11th or 12th now. I think they might be joint on 11th place heading into this one. Um, yeah. So and what's the what's the story? What's the story behind that team? Is it really just one man? Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I I give them credit. Yesterday, they actually uh, I didn't watch the match, but uh, I caught the very end, and they were zero zero with Hellas for a while, and they actually got the win without DePaul, who was suspended. He had gotten a red card the week before, uh, and it was the first minutes when he got red card. It was the first minutes he did not play all season to finish out that other match. And, and yeah. last week, so they are very DePaul reliant, and for good reason. He's a he's a heck of a player. I take him on Roma in a heartbeat. Um, yeah, me too. So he will be the key to contain for for Roma, of course. He, uh, he's all about, about fight and determination. He brings it. Yeah, spades. yeah. With with plenty of skill going forward too. I, he's exactly. got he's got that combination. I I don't know how he's still at Udinese, but um, that's going to be a problem for Roma to figure out because he's still there, and Roma's going to have to deal with him next week. Um. Yeah. You know, and you had mentioned this is a big stretch for Roma. They have Udinese, then they have Braga in the first leg of the Europa League the following Thursday, then Benevento, uh, and then Braga again, and then Milan. So that that stretch between the 14th and 28th will be very busy. Um, I think you'll see plenty yeah. of rotation in those matches, as much as Fonseca can allow without you know weakening the side too much in the Europa League because it's no longer playing some Lithuanian you know farmers or whatever <laughs> people like to joke about. Braga is a serious club <laughs> from Portugal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where Fonseca rotates uh, because he does have a fairly fit roster at this point outside of Zaniolo and possibly Smalling uh, and Pedro yeah. right now. So we'll see. Well, all I can say is if any of you listeners are coupled up like Steven is, uh, make sure you, you do something great for Valentine's because you've got a busy <laughs> two weeks afterwards. you got a yeah. lot of room to watch. Yeah. <laughs> make sure after you wake up at 6.30 for the match by 8.30, you're making breakfast and uh, it's a nice yeah. one after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, that, yeah, this is, um, this is, uh, what well, this is, um, building off the, the last time we faced them, which is, uh, like you brought up before the, the theme of that match was, um, Udinese defending deep and mm-hmm. and us barely getting past with a one 0 win. Um, uh, could it could it be more goals scored this time around? That we we know what to expect. Um, it's like you, you put down here that Udinese unbeaten in their last four four games and, and like you know we we've been building up Verona as one of the toughest teams in the league, but yeah they just beaten two 0 this 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 past weekend. So um, what what do you make of it? What's going to be the uh, the the keys to breaking down this Udinese team for the second time. 
Saturday. Yeah, I think it's going to have to be better, being better in the final third. Like we mentioned against Juve, they weren't great in the final third. I think it might play out similarly in the in the in the sense that I think Udinese will willingly give up some possession aroma to defend. Mm-hmm. I think that's more their game under Goti this year from what we saw the first time around. Uh, and Roma's going to have to make something happen. You know, I think they'll be more suited to making it happen against an Udinese than a Juve. Um, yeah. We just have to hope they carry some of the momentum from like the Hellas win. I know, you know, they had that loss in between, but they have to build on the, the moral victory uh, against Juve, as Fonseca put it, you know, that, you know, they, they did some good things, but they didn't finish in the final third and they have to be better in the final third. Hopefully having Pellegrini back, maybe El Shari as an option off the bench. Um, yeah. and, these, and these guys will help. Um, and, and I expect Meyer all to be better against a team like this. I expect these guys to be better. Um, Roma won't have to pack the midfield as much so they can, they can attack it a bit differently. So I am confident that Roma will come away with a, a, a result. I think they know that they need a result after losing mm-hmm. to Juve. I think when they look at the table, you know, and they should be confident against these smaller teams because they haven't even dropped points to any of these smaller teams outside of Sassuolo and Hellas this year, they've pretty much handled their business and gets everybody else besides Spezia and the Copa. So um, I, I go in fairly confident despite the loss. How about you? Yeah, I'm confident. Uh, I expect a little a different approach, uh, but just slightly in, in the details. I, I think Roma would willingly want to force Udinese to have the ball in their back line because uh, this is actually how the, the first game played out. And I, I called it ahead of time that match. So I was, I was like slapping myself on the shoulder for calling it right. Is that the way we scored was um, uh, Udinese's back line, who are notorious for giving the ball away just when they don't need to. Um, they did that against us. There's, I think it's Rodrigo Bacau. Um, I forget who else is back there for Udinese, but their, their, their trio of normally starting defenders is notoriously bad on, on in possession. Uh, so, um, you know, you want, you, want, you want those guys to have the ball. And, and when we do that, when we, when we focus on that, is what we do is we uh, try and mark out their wingers and try and, and, try and mark out Rodrigo de Paul, of course, in midfield. Uh, try and cut off the option so that, that, that their defenders are stuck recycling the ball in the back line. And you, eventually, that, that pressure is going to tell that they're going to make a mistake, like they did in the first match, where they gave it straight to straight back to us, and we passed it to Pedro. Pedro didn't hesitate with the early shot, one nil, bang, three points. Thank you very much. Um, so I, I expect us to do that, and I so that for that reason, I'd expect a, a young Roma starting lineup because you want you want Roma players that can press, um, that can mark early, like really like intercept the ball early and run around the whole game. So I, I'd expect another another mayoral start and uh, whoever's behind them to be fresh and, and young and fit as well. Yeah. I think you get, you get that fresh, um, you know, Pellegrini coming off the suspension. I think Myral, I think is a good start in this match. Um, I, I just think that would, that would fit better with what we're looking to do. And maybe if Jekko's going to start, it's maybe more in the Europa league, depending on how Roma mm-hmm. approaches that match. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're not Jekko dependent anymore, which is definitely a good thing. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. You know, hopefully Roma can pull it out. Um, but in the meantime, you know, Roma just has to prep. Hopefully they get small and fit um, and they get El Sharari up to speed. And, you know, they're the strongest team they can be until, you know, they get El- uh, hopefully Zaniola back later in the season. Other than that, everybody's pretty much in the fold, like we had mentioned. So Fonseca's got to just use his guys right, game plan well. And uh, hopefully Roma will take advantage of some of these smaller teams and then nick a couple wins off these bigger teams to really keep themselves in that fourth place race. So, uh, Sean, any mm-hmm. closing thoughts? 
Yeah, I just wanted to close out uh, mentioning the Roma women's team who are on a roll. They're on hot form in the league uh, after a very, very disappointing first half of the season. They're climbing back up. They're in the top four, which is uh, meaning, meaningless in that league because you only get into the Champions League by getting the top two. Uh, and there's no Europa League there, so it's pretty top two or nothing. But uh, they're, they're in the top four. They're closing in on third. Uh, they beat Pink Bali this weekend, 4-0 away. Uh, Lisa Bastoli opened the scoring, the captain from left back with a, a run and solo effort um, that, that helped to break open the deadlock. Then uh, Andresa chested it down with an assist for Paloma Lazzaro, who finally is back in scoring form after an early winter drought. And uh, then Manuela Giuliano scored directly from a free kick for Michael Frino. And finally, Andresa added to her assist by getting on the score sheet from the penalty spot for 4-0. So congratulations to the Jadarose. I, I didn't manage to catch the match. I normally do. But uh, it's good to, for me personally, to see them back in form and, and to see Andressa back on top form because she, when she's good, she's really good. So, yeah. Yeah, it's certainly good to see the, the women winning as well because uh, I know the expe- expectations this season were pretty high. They started a little slow. Very so high. it's good to see them getting, yeah. getting in form. So hopefully they'll be able to carry that the rest of the way. Um, you know, so thanks again for joining us here across the Romaverse. You know, take a look out for all of our usual preview work uh, coming up for the Udinese match. You know, uh, Sean's Toti Today piece, uh, Jimmy's Miro, um, Miro's Musings, and uh, yeah. all the other things we have on on uh, Kies di Toti. And of course, you know, subscribe to Across the Romaverse if you haven't yet on any of the big podcasting networks. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon after the Udinese match. 